0: This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have over 150 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek.
1: Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh
0: my God, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing.
1: the search and rescue division of pod fleet command it's the biggest little show this side of the alpha quadrant your independent star trek podcast greetings everyone welcome to trek geeks i'm your co-host bill smith it's so great to be here with you for episode number 155 we have a great show on tap for you today you know i mentioned search and rescue earlier we're going to talk a little bit about an episode that features some caves because you know you never see caves in star trek episodes that doesn't happen at all no but uh in order to do that i need to bring on my co-host and he is somebody whom i would like to abandon in a cave and then seal up the entrance he's the grasping for air and daylight dan davidson and dan um get back in there would you buddy wow
0: that's your intros are always you know so negative i i it's like it's There's, like we're it's like we're, we're dancing a tango all the time back and forth tay the tay is that the right phrase I I have no idea what you're talking about That's okay, well it's great to be here anyway uh, For episode 155 uh, of the Trek Geeks podcast As we continue along this amazing Deep Space Nine 25th anniversary celebration And as you said, lots of caves in today's um, uh, episode that we're going to be discussing Lots of brilliant acting, lots of lightning um, And lots of crazy talk, I'm not going to lie um, as we delve into the amazing season six episode of Deep Space Nine entitled Waltz. So Bill, may I have this dance? No, no, you may not. Excellent.
1: And the crazy people around me have told me you can't. <laughs> 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 I'm excited to talk about this. You know, we've, we've seen a lot of, of Dukat and Cisco this year, but this is really a confrontation that sets up the season finale, you know, a year and a half after this or sorry, the series finale a year and a half after this. This interaction between Ducat and Cisco really sort of pushes it to a new level, and we're going to talk about that later on. Before we do that, Dan, hmm. let's let some crazy voices from the Internet
0: send us some messages. How might they do that? It's very easy to do so, and I've always got crazy voices somewhere in my head or other places. So uh, um, just head right on over to trekgeeks.com contact, and there you'll find a variety of ways to get in touch with Bill, with me, or with both of us at the very same time. You can head over and leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or you can even click on that big old blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own voice using SpeakPipe. And, hey, don't forget the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring all your Trek talk, your Trek pics, and your Trek love over to the site and join, yes, over 1,000 other friends to talk all things Trek. It's very easy to do. Just head right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of truly a wonderful social media experience as always we thank our wonderful admins heather jackie and dan for the amazing job they do over there running the camp it's a great place to be and we look forward to seeing you over there but please do remember that any messages or comments that you leave in this places may be using episode bill what yes i know it was what? all it was the voices in my head i just i <laughs> <laughs> was that was a little fast
1: i yeah This is not a video podcast. People can't see you swatting things. uh Um, Yes, but any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, I believe is what you said. See,
0: But when you say it, it's just so much more boring.
1: Dan, it's time for the news from (laughs) treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha (laughs) Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Trek, yo. (laughs) It's (laughs) treknews.net. I was, I was going to let you see how far you could go before you started losing air. Uh, you wanted that, all uh, on, that. Uh. online at treknews.net. You're absolutely right. I wanted that. <laughs> a boring old me wanted that. Thank you very much. Uh, Dan, lots to talk about this week. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked about the news and there's been a lot going on. And um, of course, the holiday season is right around the corner now that we're in autumn, as far as seasons go here in the United States. It's right around the corner of the holidays, and at this year's New York Comic-Con, we saw some really cool Star Trek-looking swag on, the, uh, on display.
0: I look forward to this time of year every year because I am the easiest person on the planet to shop for for Christmas because there's always new Star Trek stuff coming out every year. This year is no exception. There's some awesome stuff coming out that, as you said, was on display at New York Comic-Con, and starting with Eagle Moss They had some great stuff on display, including the USS Glenn, which will be retailing for $80 uh, and is available now, I believe. Um, But it is a limited edition Starship. So check that out uh, quickly. Also coming in November of this year will be the USS Buran. So keep your eyes open for that. And then uh, during the winter months in 2018, which basically the way I look at it means December because winter starts in December, um, we can be looking for the forward to the klingon K'ukh class starship which will be very nice say, as well could you say that again the K'ukh class <laughs> starship um which will it's very nice there's some some great pictures available to see um and in 2019 we can be looking forward to the uss clark um including Uh, Other ships uh, are including, excuse me, the Enterprise C, which I I know Bill can't wait to get um, from one of his favorite episodes, uh, yesterday's Enterprise, that will be an XL starship and this one I found very interesting they're going to have the space dock available that we've seen in so many movies and and series um, so that'll be kind of cool uh, to get our, our mitts on and put on display um, also uh, as mentioned several episodes ago Eagle Moss is going to have at some point the USS Enterprise as seen in the finale of Star Trek Discovery Season 1 so keep your eyes out for that so Eagle Moss has lots of good stuff on the way which I'm looking forward to um, of course our friends over at fansets had their mirror universe logos available at the convention and they are now available on the website fansets.com they're available in gold silver and bronze and uh, now available as their second release for the month of october as this episode drops is captain danby connor from the mirror universe so check that out another great pin from my favorite universe and bill you and I have been collecting the Hallmark ornaments uh, since they first started coming out, and we got a sneak peek at what 2019 is going to bring us uh, what, over there at New York Comic-Con last weekend. They're going to have a triple next year. Uh, they are going to have your favorite of the Starship Enterprises, which is the refitted USS Enterprise. Um, also, the uh, figure ornaments that they have started coming out with every year will be a Discovery Saru and Michael Burnham uh, uh, ornament. And as well uh, as in addition to those, I should say, there's also a preview of a TOS transporter room tabletop ornament and three itty bitty plushes, which we have grown to love. Vina as an Orion slave girl, as well as Captain Janeway and Seven of Nine from Star Trek Voyager. So tons of stuff. But Bill, I've been talking for a couple minutes, but I'm not done. I got one more thing that I want to talk about, and I'm sure you're looking forward to this one. It is for you Kelvin timeline fans from diamond select toys. They're going to have a couple of new action figures on, uh, that were on display at the comic-con and they'll be available very soon. Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock from the Kelvin timeline with some nice accessories, including phasers and phaser rifles and different hands that you can put on the figures to hold various accessories. So, uh, lots and lots of cool things coming out, um, to add to our collection of accoutrements. Does that mean it's my turn to speak now? Yeah, sorry. That was that was long. That was a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Lots of stuff.
1: Yeah. You know, I have always maintained that I love the ambassador class Enterprise.
0: I yes, just don't I like the I've
1: episode seen. yesterday's Enterprise.
0: <laughs> I just like putting that out there. Uh,
1: I think it was was it Rick Sternbach who designed that? I think.
0: I I believe so. It's it's brilliant. It's a great, it's a great Mishmash is the wrong word, but it's a great flow of what we were used to seeing and what we got with the Enterprise D. So it is, it is a very nice starship. Yeah,
1: it it definitely you know bridges the the original series era and the next gen era. I think beautifully. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm very excited about that. Believe it or not. So you could stop making fun of me. Thank you. Oh, all right. Um, of course, Dan. In just a couple of weeks, uh, in fact, uh, two weeks uh, from as we record this, actually. Uh, you and I are going to be headed to Albany, New York for the Northeast Trek Con. And we found out just yesterday that <laughs> you and I are on a panel we didn't even know was happening. We're very psyched about this. It is going to be awesome.
0: It is going to be awesome. And this was like a you, you sent me a message and I was like, what? So, yeah, um, not only are we going to be having a fantastic time just all weekend, but on Sunday afternoon from noon to 1 p.m., We're going to be part of an incredibly interesting sounding panel called Podcasting 101. And we're going to be joined by some wonderful friends from Trek FM as well as Women at Warp. And to top off that, if it can be topped off, Mr. Garrett Wong will be hosting the panel. OMG, I cannot wait for this. Uh, It's going to be amazing. And we hope. Anyone who is in the area can swing on by to Albany on the weekend of October 26th through the 28th to have a great time at the Northeast Trek Con with us. You can find the entire schedule at
1: northeasttrekcon.com. And, of course, uh, like Dan said, it's October 26th through 28th at the Albany Capital Center, right in the heart of downtown Albany, New York. So it's going to be a fantastic time. we got Garrett's going to be there, obviously, Nicole DeBoer, Chase Masterson, Jeffrey Combs, uh, Bob O'Reilly, J.G. Hertzler. Hmm. Those are voices you oh. may hear at some point coming up very soon. Uh, Aaron Eisenberg, Max Kredinchik, Larry Namachek, Rick Sternbach, the aforementioned Mr. Sternbach, uh, Mark Okrend, uh, Doug Drexler, Andre Bormanis, uh, a whole bunch of people who have been tied to, to Trek before and, and us. <laughs> it's going to be a great time. We're going to be in the dealer's room all weekend long. Um, and Dan, we're going to be also doing a special raffle to benefit the American Cancer Society. And um, it's it's going to be pretty fantastic. Some lucky attendee of Northeast TrekCon is going to walk away with a pretty incredible
0: prize. Absolutely. Uh, as always, we're so excited to be teamed up with our friends at Fansets. Uh, we're going to be raffling off a Deep Space Nine 25th anniversary framed pin set that was uh, unveiled at STLV this past year. It is gorgeous. It is uh it's. I think it's the best one that they've come out with so far in terms of the, of the uh, pin collections. Uh, it's absolutely great uh, great to have available to raffle off, um, and it's not uh, it's not going to be that expensive if you want to raffle uh, take a chance at the raffle build. But we do want to talk about before you give the prices for the raffle. We do want to say that you do have to be there to enter this raffle. It is only going to be available for you to uh, attempt to win if you're at the convention.
1: That's right, and that's one of those you know legal things. According to American law, you can't conduct a lottery on. I'm sorry. a raffle online or else it's technically considered a lottery and those are regulated by the federal government so uh, in order to win this you do have to attend northeast trekcon. con um you do have to come to our table in the dealer's room and you can get one ticket for five dollars or five tickets for twenty dollars so that's actually you know, not too bad and uh the winner will be selected that weekend before the convention closes down you don't have to be present to win which is nice you can make sure you write your information on the uh, on the back of the ticket and we'll be sure that uh that we get that out to you. If for some reason you can't attend, but that's Northeast TrekCon, October 26th to 28th. Come win some pins from us. That's
0: all we're going to say. I don't have anything else to say.
1: Dan, speaking of fansets. Our friends there are hard at work with some amazing new pin ideas. They're going to be released over the coming year. Now, you and I can't say what they're coming out with, but we can say that they will be of the same quality and design that we've come to expect with this amazing line of Star Trek pins.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I, yeah, I can't say it any better than that, Bill. The artwork is amazing. The high quality is second to none, and their prices are, well, out of this world. I I said it. Sorry. Um, So, yeah, folks, just head right on over to fansets.com to see all the latest pins available, including the new Harry Mudd from Star Trek Discovery pin, in addition to their line of Mirror Universe pins that were recently unveiled at New York Comic Con. So uh, as you hear this, it will already be past the 15th of the month. That means that there are gonna be
1: is gonna be another brand new fansets pin on the FanSets website. And as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to receive 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, simply enter the word waltz at checkout. That's all caps, no spaces, waltz. And this code is gonna be, be available until midnight on Monday, October 22nd. So don't delay fansets is pinpoint accuracy and we thank our friends at fansets for sponsoring this week's episode dan as we move on we're going to talk about waltz um mm-hmm. you brought up tango earlier and uh, i think <laughs> it, in a way this almost starts off as a tango but it definitely is a waltz in the way these two characters operate around each other and dance through this conflict i think it's an
0: aptly named episode Oh, you just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say it was it was perfectly named for what this episode is and you get to see it from both sides. You get to see it from Ducat's side, you get to see it from Ben's side, and it's uh it's really an interesting uh trip down the rabbit hole uh so to speak uh in this episode when it's just the two of them that on that uh, uh abandoned planet.
1: Yeah, you know, it's it starts off very interestingly. It's got a, a very long tease for this episode. I was always kind of thrown by the fact that Cisco would just in the middle of a, of a dominion war would spend a couple of days on another starship going to a star base to put Dukat at some kind of arraignment, mm-hmm. which is apparently just a formality. However, I understand they had to find a way to get these two characters together without necessarily destroying the the defiant. All right. So I get it. It's a bit of license. Um, it, it seems a little kludgy, but you forget that that occurs you know, by the time we start getting into the scenes in the cave.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. I actually like how they did this. I totally agree with you. It's the middle of a war. He's one of the top commanders uh, of the fleet um, against the Dominion, but yet he's on the Honshu um, traveling to give his testimony to the Federation grand jury, which as you said, is just a formality. It's a formality. Why can't he do it over subspace? Why can't he do it, you know, by, you know, writing a, a, letter, give it to Sam Cogley to deliver. I don't know, but um, it is interesting that he's there and he's there for several days before he even goes and bothers to see Dukat. Um, but I really liked how they did it. And I liked that initial interaction, um, especially when he walks into the brig and Ducat is meditating. That's not something that we've ever seen Ducat doing before. Um, so it was really great. Um, ben was, was truthfully sorry about what happened to Zial and gives his condolences. Um, and I think, uh, at least at the beginning of this episode, Ducat felt sorry, or I'm sorry, Cisco felt sorry for Dukat in a lot of, as- in a lot of ways and aspects. Well, I think it's because he sees a Dukat who has essentially
1: been broken. I mean, we know Dukat has been seeing at least one doctor, you know, he's mm-hmm. probably a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm sorry, whichever one. Um, Somebody to work through his emotions and his feelings, and and to gauge his mental state, you know. And I think that this is an entering interesting juncture for the Ducat character. So, you know, in in looking this up on Memory Alpha, as we typically do before we talk about a, a general episode, uh, maybe talk about how this episode came about. It's interesting to note that by the time this episode aired, the Ducat character had become incredibly popular among fans, and honestly more popular than the writers ever intended or wanted. So, and, and we have to attribute that all to Marco Limo. He is, yep. he's amazing every time he appears on screen. And I think that you don't really get a sense for how truly exceptional Marco Limo is until we get to here. You know, we've seen him, you know, show Ducat as a, as a leader, as a statesman, as a former prefect of Bajor, as a guy who you know, has, has experienced some loss, but you don't realize how deeply evil Dukat is until we get to Walt. And that was a conscious decision by the writers to sort of take him down a, a peg or two to make him not as popular to make him confront some of the evil that he's wrought upon Bajor. And I find that really interesting I guess in watching the show, I didn't realize Dukat had become that popular. But as I rewatched Deep Space Nine, I absolutely see why.
0: It's funny that you say that, because if that's what they the reason that they did this episode, then I think it backfired because I think this episode makes him more popular than ever. Um, at least for me, I've talked about. So ever since we've been doing this podcast, that Dukat is my favorite Star Trek villain of all time. Um, and it is because of Mark Alimo and what he brings to that character. And this episode, he is genius at what he does and able to to show us that that uh, roller coaster of emotions and psychosis that he's dealing with. And and he's talking to people who aren't there and he's firing his phaser. And I think it's brilliant. And I also have to give credit to Renee, who directed this episode. He worked fantastically with Mark and Avery to make this episode do. Uh, wonders for the Ducat character for the rest of the series. You know,
1: you bring up a great point there. Rene Aubergenois does such an amazing job directing this episode. I mean, I, I can't imagine how intimidating it must be as an actor to direct sometimes. But when you have two mm-hmm. actors like Avery Brooks and Mark Alimo essentially doing a two-character piece for most of the episode, it's got to be a really daunting task on some level. And Rene handles it so superbly. You know this. This episode is directed uh, amazingly well, and uh, I I agree with you 100. He he really kills this. Plus, I mean, you have to look at the fact that you know this is a script written by Ronald D Moore. So already Renee was starting with exceptional material as well.
0: Right. I, I love the aspects of what um, Ducat's mind is is going through while they're in the caves. The idea of bringing Damar and Kira and Wayun into this episode, even though they're not really in the episode is awesome. It, it, it you know, you've, you've all, we've always seen movies and, and TV shows where people are hallucinating and talking to people who aren't really there. And I've always looked at it kind of like, okay, that's just kind of weird. I just, I can't ever see me doing that, but it, it works with this episode. And that's, I think, again, we're going to probably repeat this five or six times during the course of our episode today. It's because of what Mark Alimo does with this with this script. He's brilliant with it. And even though they're short scenes with, like, especially with Nana's Kira in the cave, she's, oh, my God, if, 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 if that's what she was saying to me, I'd probably want to kill her, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, our regular characters or, or the characters we expect to see represent different things in Deep Space Nine the whole way so far. So, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the regular characters we know represent the wormhole aliens. And there was even a, a season three episode called Distant Voices where we see a little bit of that as well, where, you know, the, the characters begin appearing as different aspects of a personality. In this case, Ducat. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think it was done even better than those other instances because it really gave us a look into how deeply disturbed Ducat is you know, you get the sense that something's not right at the beginning of this episode and you get about a third of the way in and you realize that this guy is bat guano crazy. And he's not only a danger to himself, he's a danger to the entire quadrant.
0: Not only is it one of the things that I like best about it when we're talking or when we're watching Ducat is we see how bat guano crazy he is, like you said, but He doesn't think he is. He thinks he did everything for the good of Bajor. He wanted to save them. One of the things that I find most interesting about this episode is when he's talking about in his first month of his administration, quote unquote, which I thought was kind of funny, um, he reduced – he got rid of child labor and he reduced um, output by 50%. And then he said, by the end of my first month, the death rate had dropped by 20%. Yeah, way to go buddy (laughs) (laughs) and he thought that was great i just thought it was it was amazing that he thinks all this good he is doing and how instead of killing a whole bunch of bajorans for the fact that they uh blew up a, a mining uh depot or something like that he only he only killed the same amount of Bajorans that Cardassians were killed. So that's for he's got that going for him, too. Well, which is nice.
1: <laughs> it is nice. Well, that's because in his own mind, you know, Dukat is the supreme hero of, yeah. of everything he ever did. And he mm-hmm. really believes it. I think that's what really kind of exposes his psychosis in this episode. He does isn't just think that, you know, he did an effective job as the prefect of Bajor, you know, for Cardassia. He believes that he was on the side of right and can't see anything else beyond it. And I think by the time that Cisco comes to realization that he's got to go along with this, if he's going to survive, when he realizes the deception in the middle, um, I, I think he understands exactly how bad off Ducat is
0: yeah and i think the the turning point for that when they were discussing things at the beginning in the cave i think ben was kind of questioning how he was going to have to deal with this but i think the turning point was you saw this complete change in ducat's face and tone of his voice when he said something to cisco cisco answered it and ducat just looked at him and goes the emissary has spoken that was like wow that was a wow moment for me where it's like okay this is where we see that Ducat doesn't really think they're good friends, like he keeps hoping they are. He's really, he really has a problem with Cisco being the emissary, and he just, he just showed a true color. And Cisco's now figuring out what he needs to do. Well, and and the whole way Ducat is treating
1: Cisco like a long lost friend. I mean, he calls him Benjamin the entire time. You know, right. he he tries to, it, it keeps referring to him as my friend as. And it's almost like he's looking for some sort of absolution from Cisco. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, you were following orders, you know, you were just doing what you had to do and that doesn't come. And and you can see Ducat, you know, know, stacking triggers the entire way with every reaction from, from Cisco before he just finally snaps.
0: Nobody, Ducat did no wrong the entire time he was prefect of Bajor. It was always the Bajoran's fault. And I thought that was a great insight into his mind when, when Cisco kind of egged him on to, to admit to that, but it was really great because he believes it. And, uh, it's, it's we dealt with this in real life here in, in our, in our time, uh, back in world war two, we, we dealt with this. Ex- I, I, I found myself relating to what was going on in world war two in this episode. And you got a guy like that in charge. It's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else caused this. We had to fix the problem. So we did.
1: You know, it's interesting. You know, we've had a, after our last discussion, um, regarding, um, duet duet. Yep. And we've had people contact us and say, well, why do you only bring up the Nazis in world war two? Clearly there are other examples of genocide. Mm-hmm. And there are, mm-hmm. there absolutely are. But you know, the Cardassians and the occupation of Bajor is designed to be right. a, a complete, you know, uh, uh, acknowledgement of Nazi Germany and the concentration camps and those types of things. So when we keep invoking Nazi Germany, that's why exactly it's because that was intended by deep space nine. Um, It's not that we don't recognize those other conflicts or they're not as relevant. Absolutely. They are, but we're trying to treat it the way the writers saw it. So, um, and I, I say that to preface my next comment, which was, as I was sitting there watching this the other day or rewatching it, I thought to myself, what would have happened if Hitler had been, you know, a, a marooned in a cave with George S. Patton.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. In yeah. a
1: similar situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because here's Cisco, he's commander of the most important resource, you know, in the Federation you know, closest to the wormhole yep. in the middle of the Dominion War. And here is the guy who essentially led the occupation of Bajor. And really, the, the as far as two comparable characters, the ones I think of are Hitler and Patton. And it it made me wonder how that particular interaction and conversation yeah. might have gone. Yeah. And it, when you realize that Ducat really is just gone, you know, he's not able to rationalize. He's not able to, to hide, you know, the, the hatred inside you, you realize how truly evil he is. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the point that kept coming home to me when I watched this episode, you know, Dukat is more than just, you know, the villain of, of of the story he's more than just the guy who was the prefect of Bajor he's the guy that wanted to murder as many Bajor, Bajorans as possible and that's really kind of chilling when you come to it in this episode
0: it's funny because he murdered so many Bajorans when he was prefect and at the end of this episode he says that um, they don't know what it's like to be my enemy uh, but they're going to find out I'm you know I'm not I'm paraphrasing um, but let me ask you this because this is something that came up uh, in my mind while i was re-watching this is well you know that he's crazy i mean you can't mm-hmm. be sane to do the things that he did when he was prefect do you think that it was the death of Zial that tipped him over the edge or he's just always been completely gone and that was just the last straw in terms of his complete downfall in into insanity because I, I think it's a little occult it- I'm sorry to I'm sorry to jump on you. because uh, I think he's been insane the whole time, but not to the level that we see him in this.
1: I think it's a little of column A and a little column B. I think he's been evil the whole time, but I don't think his descent into insanity occurred until until Zial was killed, quite honestly. You know, DuCat wanted to paint himself as a as a leader. You know, as not even really a redeemer of sorts, but as somebody who ushered in a new era for Cardassia. Mm -hmm. Like I say, he wanted to be the hero of his own story. And he bought into his own PR, I think, in a sense. When Zial was gone, I think it pushed him over the edge to the point where he couldn't contain any of that. You know, we get to the end of the episode and he says, uh, uh, I'm so glad we had this time together, Benjamin, because we won't be seeing each other for a while. I have unfinished business on Bajor. They thought I was their enemy. They don't know what it is to be my enemy, but they will. Mm -hmm. From this day forward, Bajor is dead. All of Bajor. And this time, even their emissary won't be able to save them. So he takes that hatred for the Bajorans and now wants to turn it into a maniacal rage. You know, he wants to go on a killing spree, the type that nobody has ever seen. He wants to be the next Pol Pot or Hitler Mm -hmm. or, you know, a... pick a, a genocidal dictator from history. Um And I think that it really is the all that pushed him over that edge and off a
0: cliff. What's so interesting about that, because I agree with you, but what I find interesting about that is Zial was not part of his life for most of her life. She was in a prison camp held being held by the Breen and he was going to kill her. He went th- on that mission to find her, to yeah. kill her. And then After that, they're only together for a little bit of time before she's kind of left on the doorstep of Deep Space Nine so he can go off and kill Klingons. So the relationship that they had was together was extremely short, but it sure must have had a powerful impact on him because that amount of short time together and then that death um, by his good friend Damar pushed him right over the edge. I've always found that a little bit interesting.
1: Well, you know, Ducat. Up until this point, in deep space nine, I've been able to rationalize everything he did, mm-hmm. you know, from start to finish, whether it was the actions he took against the Bajorans or whether it was, you know, uh, <laughs> essentially overthrowing the, the, the Dextapic council on <laughs> Cardassia and becoming the de facto leader. He always had a rationalization. And when he gets to this point, he no longer needs to rationalize because all he has is the voices in his head and hatred. You know, he doesn't have to, you know, masquerade anymore. He can just be pretty much who he's been all along, although more unhinged,
0: I think, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I don't, no spoiler alerts or anything, but I, I don't think we can talk about this episode without talking about what we see the next time we see him. And, you know, this episode, gone, gonzo, off the deep end. He is in his own little world, and he is full of rage and hate. The next time we see him... I believe is when he is a member of the Pa Wraith cult and he's calm and collected. He's got the plan, but we don't see him as nuts as he is in this episode. And that's an interesting transition that we see with Ducat later on down the road.
1: Well, I think it's the, uh, I think it's an illustration of other types of, uh, of people who've gone insane that we've seen at some point they're able to, to, to bring it down a notch and, and center and realize that, you know, what they really wanted to do is, is destroy X or Y or Z all along. I don't think he could keep that mania up. I think that he finds a way to harness it and channel it. So by the time next time we see him, uh, it's become his goal and his mission, not just his his
0: his mania and his raving. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Um, I have one question. Actually, I have two questions, but I'm going to go with one question for you right now. Uh, we've seen this a lot in Star Trek how come there only is one ship around that can do a job that needs to get done (laughs) or two ships Uh, because constellation was included in the, the define and constellation have to be the ones that go on the, on the convoy thing. A
1: dramatic license. Um, (laughs) The enterprise is the only ship in the quadrant. How many times do we hear that? Um, you know, or, or the only ship or the closest ship or, or whatever. Um, uh, it's an effective way to tell a story. I mean, we could talk about the B plot in a bit, but uh, before we get to that, this is a pretty heavy discussion uh, on a pretty heavy episode. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little bit of a break <laughs> at this moment and we're going to insert something that is a lot lighter. Uh, and then we're going to come back to talking about Waltz right after this. But recently, Dan, you and I had the opportunity to speak to two Star Trek legends mm-hmm. about uh, their upcoming appearance at Northeast TrekCon. And uh, it's safe to say that um, there's a lot of laughter. <laughs> there,
0: would you agree? So I would agree. Um, uh, Legends is an understatement. Uh, we have had the honor of having J.G. Hertzler on the show in the past uh, to talk about Martok and his experiences with with Deep Space Nine and Star Trek. But we were joined. Uh, we had J.G. on uh, very recently, and we were joined by another Klingon legend Mr. Bob O'Reilly Gowron himself and when the two of them are talking at the same time it gives you a pretty good idea of what you can expect at a convention and they will both be at Northeast TrekCon so we had a great discussion about what we can expect in just a couple weeks All right, folks. For this segment, we uh, we want to welcome two Star Trek legends to the show. Um, the first. Well, oh,
2: wait. There's me. There's me, and who else is here? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my dog, Harry. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Now, would you let the man introduce us? Just be quiet for <laughs> oh, two minutes, will you? I'm sorry. Well, okay, a minute. Okay, because I know you can't do it for two. Just be quiet for no, 30 seconds. No, Could you I, give us 30 for an intro? Okay. I'd like to introduce myself. I'm, Patrick, I'm Sir Patrick Stewart. And um, here I am. The, the, the Transatlantic Cable. Uh, they they don't even know who you are yet. So just, just try to be quiet for a minute. 30 seconds. Okay, fine. try 30 fine. seconds. Okay, okay. Awesome. buy a Pontiac, <laughs> buy a Pontiac, <laughs> yes.
0: The voice you hear right there is, of course, uh, the one and only General and then Chancellor Martok from Deep Space Nine. He is Mr. J.G. Hertzler. J.G., thank you for returning to Trek Geeks uh, to talk about some some fun and interesting stuff in just a moment.
2: That's now, JG. is one of my favorite. Now, uh, I, I, I thought going. I had the. I thought I had the first billing. How come it's you ah, now? Just because you're the thing. only living Klingon leader. <laughs> uh, I'm the only video. living Klingon chancellor. <laughs> 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 no, go ahead. Introduce the other guy. Yeah, well, we can handle that one. You know, at the convention, right then and there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. The other voice that you are hearing right now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, it's his first visit to Trek Geeks, and he is yet another Klingon legend. He was leader of the Klingon Empire in both The Next Generation as well as Deep Space Nine. Galron has been a fan favorite for many years, and we are honored to welcome Mr. Robert O'Reilly to the show as well. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us for a little bit here on Trek Geeks.
2: I was willing to be quiet for my introduction, and it was so good. Thank you very much. Now, can we get J.G. off the phone? <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is O'Reilly <laughs> going to be in this entire conversation? Allegedly. You tell me that, man. <laughs> that that was... wasn't in my contract. <laughs> it's, a li- it's a lying trick. You didn't say anything about O'Reilly to be here. Now, I'm, listen, I want every Klingon who's listening here. They better be at that convention. CAG, are North you East hearing me? Trek Everybody Con. from CAG. Everybody from Keg too. Did you know that there was a Keg and a CAG? You know. The Keg guys, know, no, they drink no. a lot of beer, so they need to be there too. So okay. All right. I gotta ask you something later on. You know, on the air. Anyway, uh yeah, no, no. This is Northeast Trekcon at uh in Albany. I you know, I'm not even sure. Uh, let, let me see. Now, now, all the captains. You're never sure there. of anything, but I, I am sure that it's in Albany. That's for sure. <laughs> all the major captains are going to be there, like I, me, as captain of the Saratoga. And then there's and, me as Klingon <laughs> captain of the ship that we, in Borderland. And then there's Is <laughs> that the one that blew up? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. They, they all blew up. Oh, that's when you, know you know, played a Vulcan, like you blew up. You no, know. no, no. I just realized that, Bob. I ate too many beans that day it. and just exploded. <laughs> <you know. laughs> both times both times I played a Klingon captain of a starship, it blew up. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not survive it as a captain. Do you ever think about getting driving lessons? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for the tip. Anyway. Yeah, Triple just I gonna... just won't insure you anymore I mean that's it you know come on <laughs> Ferengi, Ferengi Starship insurance <laughs> Yeah, that's a good idea yeah they'll give you a fender <laughs> when you total your ship yeah, it, it, it covers the powertrain the powertrain warranty for for a uh, dilithium crystal core yeah <laughs> Well, well, I'm telling you, Klingons, listen up. Be at that convention. Right? That convention. Don't want know yeah, if Did it pass already? See, time goes quick around here. Jesus. No, we're going to be at the convention. It hasn't happened Yeah, already. the two of us are going to be at. That's the first time we're at a convention in a long, long time. Well, especially yes. over here on the East Coast because you don't travel. This is you, well, you, this is historic. This is very historic. So they better be there. You know? it's like we'll <laughs> yeah, allow Vulcans we too. And uh... yeah, Dan, uh, uh, Dan, and Bill, are you still there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> we're, we're having. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's the Bob and John show now. Uh, <laughs> you know, I that, that reminds me the fact I that am tap dancing as we speak. Dee 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 dee. Deep. The fact that you, uh, Dan, uh, introduced uh, me first goes against every time we've been introduced in the, for the past twenty years. It's always Galron and Martok. Yeah, of welcome, course. Ladies and gentlemen, Galron <laughs> Gowron and, and Martok, and his little friend Martok. Yeah, and, <laughs> and who is this? Who is this little uh, friend? Oh, oh, it's Martok. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Martok. man who has. No toys. Oh no! He finally got a toy. He finally, finally has a toy now. Her. Yeah, Bob gets plays. Yeah, he got, got babies' bibs and anyway. Do you guys want to say anything? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, this Ask kid- any questions. Forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: gives everyone a perfect example of what it's going to be like at Northeast TrekCon, uh, during the weekend of October 26th through 28th in Albany. When these two fine gentlemen are on stage together, um, I can only imagine what it is going to be like, because as everyone has heard over the past few minutes, uh, it's no holds barred and, and I'm not, uh, I'm digging it pretty much.
2: Well, well we, you- have, we have, we we have a, a, a saying that we use on each other and it's a cl- old Klingon saying it's, it's very, uh, um, It's grandiose and and, uh, way too long, but it goes, attack, 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 attack. And that's what we do (laughs) with each other. Especially if I'm trying to answer some some poor questioner's problem, they're out there in the audience asking a serious question about... Like, how long does it take to get in your makeup? (laughs) Yeah, and Bob, like behind me, running around with some sort of, you know, a white hanky or something, anything that he can distract with upstage of... He is the best upstage actor I, I, I've ever worked with. And, uh, it takes years of of practice. Yes, yes. We're going to hire a writer sometimes to actually give us some material because, as it is, it's just this junk that you hear right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. We're here all week. <laughs> Try to live. So So how long have you guys
0: been doing this together? And and how many conventions do you guys actually think you do a year together? Well,
2: Mm. I think I do like 40. But in reality, there's about three. (laughs) 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 Well, usually one one runs right into another one because we won't shut up. You know, (laughs) it's like. (laughs) (laughs) How long, how long we've been doing this, Bob? Uh, we've been doing this... Jeez. Um, um, we've, we've been doing, doing this... It, let me see, since I haven't seen you since... Uh, let me see. Since uh, since, well, I haven't seen you. I, I've never seen you. Uh, well, I haven't seen you... No, I, well, I've never before. seen you before. <laughs> yeah we've never seen each other before. <laughs> I don't. Who are you, by the way? What, what are we talking about? Well, that's senility. Anyway, but I think it's been minimally it's been 25 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Come to think of it, yeah. Because we were yeah, both yeah. um uh, cuz my my kids are now 20. They're going to be 22 soon. So uh oh, they man. were about 3 years old when we first met or it, uh, it was oh so it's no, only about no, 20 years. No, they were born. 20 years. They were yeah, born. Oh, you remember when they were born? Yeah. God, I don't were, I don't remember when they were born. They were born. Came Jesus. over to St. Joe's to see them. That's yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, oh, you they, did. They were wow. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't doubt that you don't remember. What well, a memory! You really have a memory. It was a pretty special a time for you. Where am I, by the way? Is anybody <laughs> know? Walla <laughs> walla <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I'm looking we, around. <laughs> I see a bunch <laughs> of trees around me, but you know. Oh, oh, Bob, there's a targ. There's a targ going by yes it's an old it's, it's an a, old dog though so don't worry. about about a half an hour ago i was going to say i going to mention the fact that i had to, i got a chance to it and had to i got a chance to introduce Buzz Aldrin at a, some event that was go- i forget what it was over there in uh in Los angeles wow well it was jimmy hey. dewan's um uh uh weekend for uh, um uh uh, gala Weekend. He threw his, I think, his 80th or 81st. I think it was his 80th birthday party, and and, uh, and, we and sang, uh, yeah, Irish that, are to him. we sang "Irish Eyes Are Smiling" to him. You know, And yeah. uh, it was a great moment, and then that and that and then we had that picture taken with Buzz Aldrin yeah. Yeah, yeah well, he was in a, He was no, we, it wasn't Buzz Aldrin. We had a we had a picture taken with Neil Armstrong. That's who I meant. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but earlier, <laughs> I had to introduce. I got to introduce Buzz Aldrin at this event, not that event, different event. But I said, "Oh, oh sh- Buzz Aldrin. I don't know him. You know, I, he's for real. I, I, you know, we work on plywood. Um, <laughs> our starships are made out of wood." Listen, speak uh, for yourself. I never worked for plywood on my life. <laughs> I was always in a spaceship going around the planets. Nice. Okay, it was Dave's hands on it, opening the doors for you, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sometimes they didn't, and I smacked right into the door. Didn't that ever happen I to know. you? I think they did no, that on it, purpose because like, they didn't like me too like, much. You know? oh, I absolutely. don't blame them because I talked all the time. I wouldn't shut up. Oh, I can't I imagine. imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Could we have a double speak on that again? <laughs> I can't imagine. I can't imagine. <laughs> no, but I was telling. You, I was this. Uh, this. I had to introduce Buzz Aldrin. I said, "What am I going to say? What am I? What am I going to? How am I going to introduce him?" I said, "Oh, I know, Buzz. I know exactly how you feel because it's always when when we're introduced, it's always Galron and Markov." <laughs> <laughs> and with you, it's always Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin. And uh, <laughs> I, so I, I, I empathize, and I, 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 basically, I cry for you, Buzz, because I know but why do you? Why do they call you Buzz? And I said, Oh, oh, I know. Let me see. Sixty-nine is when you went to the moon. So let me see. Oh yeah, now I see it. It's it, you and Neil Armstrong were sitting in the capsule going towards the moon. It's like you're looking out the window and. You lit up a, a, a you, you lit up a J to go ah, Neil, we're going to the moon, man. That's <laughs> <laughs> the name, Buzz uh, Aldrin. Um, <laughs> I can't take him anywhere. Do you understand why I constantly interrupt him? You leave him with the story, and he just goes off
1: on this insane tangent. <laughs> oh my word. Um, so I, I'm gonna ask We're one going on to <laughs> <Hey>, Neil <laughs> I, I'm gonna ask one serious question and and Bob will start oh. with you and then JG, you can follow up right. if you feel so inclined. Um, you guys have been doing Not cons well. for a while, and how would you say fandom has changed in the last twenty five years? I mean you guys have met a lot of fans, you've certainly talked to a lot of people, a lot of people discovering Deep Space Nine. Do you encounter that a lot? as you meet people in the cons?
2: Uh, wait, wait, JG, why don't you go with that? Because, okay. you know, uh, you were on Deep Space a lot more than I was. I'm younger and smarter than Bob, so I'll go. I'll <laughs> take it that would give he, you well, he actually, he actually remembers the show. Yes. <laughs> what show? <laughs> Oh, I forgot um, Babylon. I just know it wasn't Voyager. I know it wasn't Voyager. Yeah. So Um. I don't know that the fans have changed that much. We've gotten older, but the fans—they sort of stay the same. It's you know we get generations because it's funny how little you know kids, uh, ten years old, eleven years old—they were made to watch us by their grandfathers and their fathers and mothers. Uh, and they say, uh, and they know everything about the shows. And I think, how can you possibly know? This was, this show was, was at least 20 years. 25 20 years, years ago.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. And they, well, I watched it with my dad every night when, you know, when it was on somewhere said, oh, okay. And now they record, they record it or, or they, they replay it on Netflix or something. Somehow they do it. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. so we've even got kids coming up, you know, who are like, jg said about 10 years old and 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 uh um the klingons That's tend right. to be uh and they age a little bit older uh the klingons are tending to i mean i've known klingons for 20 25 years easily uh because i was doing this before jg um yeah. in almost 30 years now uh so um uh some of them, you know, uh, are, you know, it, well into their seventies, um, and uh, others are uh, young. A young Klingon now is like thirty, so, sure. um, uh, quite a few. I was just uh, recently in, in one convention, and a lot of the guys come from uh, Klingons. I'm talking about come from the military, and they used to see uh our shows uh in iraq um and Iran and um, oh, yeah and, and <laughs> all over the world and um uh at all the theaters you know that that we have around the world korea um and and they would they would just play the shows a lot and, and you know obviously they just you know uh know with the, the when you uh, say theaters around the world, you mean theaters of war that are going on, or where, yeah, theaters people, of war, wherever. not not theaters of of um, not uh, stage theaters like um, da, you are da, prolific at. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> da, da, da. Uh, yep. 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 Did you know that that JG is really an opera singer? That's that's how he got into the business. Me, I actually, was actually that's a that's a good that's a good intro to the. Uh, a very important thing. We're going to be doing Klingon opera. Um. Well, did I tell you how I got into the theater? No. I was hanging lights, um, and and the rehearsal was going on, and I fell onto the stage, and <laughs> I said, "Director, I mean, not, not the guy, the director said, um, perfect timing. You'll play, and that was it. I was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure." So you yep. you really yep. fell into the business then just uh, I, I just actually did fall into the business see me right I, away and it knew it right a guy it. who knew time there timing. was a little there was a little pile of dog <laughs> right there on the, uh, on the stage you <laughs> fell right into the business um but besides you know, that this, huh? this is public radio now you know this is public radio so you have to no. watch your peas and keto's no. Listen, I we heard some stuff on CNN with the whole Kavanaugh thing. We heard some we heard uh yeah. Well I can't even repeat the thing I let's not know. go there. Let's not go okay. there. <laughs> anyway. We uh I I got into it because I got into theater because I played football at uh, at uh, Bucknell, uh college. With girls. Ball, it's football. only gr- always girls with them. It's girls, it's girls. It it was and uh, I, I yeah and it's still is <laughs> pretty much but um but the um I uh yeah I was I was leaning I was I was doing nothing I was sitting up I, I had all this time in my hands because when you play football you know it, there's lots of hours of practice and dressing and anyway it takes a long time so I had all this time suddenly my senior year and I was just hanging out and uh, Janet Cunningham it was just. You know, she was dynamite. This is, this is 1970. She was a cat's meow. Is that the expression in our day when we were young? The cat's meow. That was the expression in 1928, Bob. Well, that's what I mean. That's, you know, (laughs) we go back away, or at least I do. You know, cat's meow. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, she said, hi, John. I said, hey. And she said, "Uh, what are you doing? And I said nothing. She said, well, "Why didn't you come in and audition, audition for this show?" I said, "Well, are, are you going to be in it?" She said, uh, "I don't know. I'm going to audition." I said, "Okay." <laughs> and, and that's how I got into the business.
0: So um, you fell but,
2: in too. Actually, you fell over. You fell well, over here's that, again. Here's the interesting. Here's the interesting. Here's that interesting story. Well, interesting uh, tag to that. The man who was, there was only one theater uh, director at Butnell. It was uh, Harvey, pa- Dr. Harvey Powers. And he ran the theater and he was directing the show. It was called Mark I Star. remember old Harvey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was kind of old. Anyway, days. anyway, Bobby. He's probably you dead you? now. You know? No, well, he is, unfortunately. But, <laughs> but, but his son was also in the show, Mark Powers. Yeah. This is the first show I did, and it was called Marat Saad by um, Peter Brook. Remember this? Anyway, I remember, um, and I remember the play too. Yeah, and and Mark Powers was his son. He played Jacques Roux in this play. And about three days ago, Mark Power drove up my driveway and said um, he he just bought the he bought the property almost. Immediately next to where I live up here in uh, in upstate New York. You're kidding! So Did he know it he was, was you? Yeah, so his dad was the person who got me. Did he want theater. an autograph? Did he want an autograph? Uh, <laughs> no, for some reason he didn't. Uh, well, he didn't he, say he's... anything about that. It was just an oversight. But I <laughs> I have a lot of signed pictures. I'll be happy to drop one off at his house. <laughs> Anyway, it's uh this is this is night what this I'm talking 1972 to the present. How many years is that? Like 50 years. That's a lot of years. Almost. That's uh that's it's 40 50 to 50 years. years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What yeah. are the chances? Huh? Anyway. Wow. Okay. All right. Here's my story. Uh, no, I know <laughs> I yeah. I don't have a story. I, you know I'd get it. My story would take so long. You'd all be sleeping, and you know I don't want to do that to you. You know. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, sure. why don't you go to sleep i' no, tell no, the story you know it's like a story about about 10 15 seconds of your telling that would be uh, <laughs> uh yeah, <laughs> still put us to sleep um, but guys uh, is there anything we can uh, uh, is there any question we can answer because this is supposed <laughs> to be some sort of uh, promo for northeast trekcon which we're going to have a we're gonna have a wonderful time at it i guarantee you. but at um, i'm talking to all the klingons in the universe get there be there be square that's all you
0: know <laughs> yeah yeah actually uh, i do have a question about the about northeast trek on guys are you going to be doing your normal um at, at like vegas we've seen you and and when i first met you guys in 2014 in boston you guys had the full klingon gear on you were doing your thing on stage are we going to be able to see that up in albany i i yes i hope so mm-hmm.
2: i uh, JG, are you planning? I'm planning on getting into the whole schmegeggy. Into ridge, yeah. We're going to do it on yeah. Friday night for sure. Um, oh, okay, Friday front, night, uh, and then J- JG, are you there s- Saturday too? Yeah, they're sa- I'm there Saturday. I'm not. I'm not there Sunday because I got to race back to. Uh, um, to uh, so they Instagram better get there, there. So they better get there Friday. Uh, get there, everybody. Oh, get there Friday, and and so you're definitely there for JG and me on on stage, and uh, and then Saturday, yeah, it's Klingon too. night, man. It's we're going to be doing yeah. Klingon opera. We have another. We've hired this uh, uh, Klingon yeah. woman to be. Uh, she's actually very, very good. Bob and I are even better than good. Uh, we think <laughs> we make it up as we uh, as we go. Yeah. Uh, I'm like good act- rye bread, you know. He's more like sourdough, but you know, I think like yeah, you know, yeah,
0: like yeah, large sourdough,
2: very large sourdough. You know, yeah, thank you, Uh, that's okay. Yeah,
0: well, yeah. I'll tell you what guys, we're we are both Bill and I are both looking forward to uh uh hanging out with you in person uh October 26th through 28th at the Albany Capital Center in Albany, New York for Northeast Trekcon. Can't wait to see you guys and uh, and we really appreciate you coming on and uh and telling us a little bit about your past and about what your plans are. And I got to say, Bob, I promise the next time that we have you guys on, I'll do my best to give you top billing man. How's that? <laughs>
2: Sounds good. Boston strong. Yeah. And (laughs) Albany all the way. (laughs) Go Pat. Oh, no, this is Albany.
0: That's right. right, Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in just a couple weeks.
2: All right. Take care. All right. Go socks.
1: You know, it's amazing. Um, I think you and I appear in that conversation somewhere. I think I heard our voices at one point. I'm not really sure.
0: I, I thought it was the Richard Hatch interview all over again. <laughs> no, it really they just, it, they just kept going.
1: <laughs> they just run with it, man. Yeah. It was
0: really, it was hilarious. They um, are but- uh, true entertainers. Uh, in every sense of the word, they have some great history between them. And what's funny is they really never interacted that much on the show. They were only in a couple episodes together, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. And now they go all over the world together to these conventions, like the one that they're going to be at in just a couple of weeks in Albany at Northeast TrekCon. Doing their Klingon thing. And for people who have not seen it, we've had the opportunity to see it. We saw it in Boston in 2014. It is amazing. It is a lot of fun. You're going to be laughing. And I, and as we saw or as we heard with this conversation, it's pretty much all off the cuff. There's nothing scripted in the stuff that they do at these conventions. And it's it's comic gold by the Klingons. It's I can't wait to see it again in just a couple of weeks
1: uh oh, it's going to be fantastic so let us get back to the discussion at hand and waltz um and uh b- before we we cut in the conversation with jg and bob we started talking about the b plot mm. and how the defiant was really you know the only ship that could do this escort that that uh, convoy or whatever it is from the battle of oh, the troop transport from troop. the Badlands 30,000 troops 30,000 troops um I, I think the thing that that surprised me the most about this episode is that a lot of times B plots in an episode like this really are kind of out of place and don't work. But I thought that this B plot worked for this episode a lot better um, because it was tied directly to the A plot. It wasn't running in parallel. I mean, here they are out there searching for the captain and, and for, for survivors, but mainly for the captain. And, you know, Worf is trying to cut this as close to the deadline as he can before they have to go off. And I thought it was integrated pretty well. And uh, I guess, well, what do you think before I, I press on with that?
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. I, li- I just threw that question out there kind of as humor, as we always have that. Oh, well, you're the only ship in the area, so you have to go on this mission. Um, I think I, I like what you just said. It's not a parallel story to the A plot. It's all tied together, even though it is considered the B plot. I, I really liked how at times the writing of this episode made you think that they were getting ready to beam up cisco and ducat because that yeah. uh, when we see the um uh the uh the beacon um which i have another question about which we'll get into after and then all of a sudden on the defiant they get a new signal and then they've got two people that they're ready to beam up and we're like oh my gosh this is it they're gonna rescue him no and the and the way wait- no. oh, oh yeah we just got two female crew members one's a lieutenant one's an ensign oh, okay <laughs> it's, not, <that> <laughs> kind of <funny>. it's so <laughs> disappointed <laughs> Um, but but my It was like getting socks on Christmas morning. <laughs> I, I like socks. <laughs> Not as a 10-year-old you didn't. <laughs> no, that's true. Um, yeah. I thought my favorite moment on The Defiant during that B story was the way that Bashir perfectly insulted Worf in a gentlemanly way. You won't take it wrong if I don't find your honor above Captain Sisko's life you may live the bridge doctor. leave, live the bridge. You may leave the bridge doctor. I thought that was great. I, I it, Bashir doesn't have much to say in this episode, but he said a lot in that one sentence. That entire scene is great.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, th- they talk about, uh, or Brian floats the idea of, um, uh, those communications were too garble. I don't know what she said. Mm-hmm. And Bashir agrees. And Dak says, well, you know what? I understood what she said perfectly fine. And ultimately the decision belongs to Worf, right? So Worf, Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really well played. It I was. mean, you can understand why that would go a hundred different ways like, Oh, garbled communications. Cause we've never seen that in Star Trek either. <laughs> um, but Dax, you know, is the adult in the room and says, look, you know, you know what the orders are. I know what the orders are. Let's not, let's not play this game. Right. You know, there's more at stake here. Yes. The captain's life is potentially in danger, but there's 30,000 troops that need to be escorted mm-hmm. and they're defenseless. There were Why you'd put 30,000 troops on a defenseless ship I don't know yeah. but that's just me but yeah you're right the way that Bashir and and Worf end that scene is just it's pretty fantastic
0: I don't think they ever it's a problem to put 30,000 troops in a defenseless slip because they've got the defiant and the constellation they're gonna meet them there and then everything's gonna be fine it's yeah I totally hear what are saying um, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know I had a thought in my head and now it's gone um, but There's one other thing that I wanted to bring up that I just find interesting in this episode, and I understand it needs to be done because it's an important and integral part of the story on the planet. But I don't know. I think technology um, in the future sometimes still has problems as advanced as they are because I'm not exactly sure why you would want to have a distress beacon that on the front of the panel says that it's online, but on the back of the panel, you can still see it being offline just to be duplicitous to the person in front of the device, right? <laughs> you know, there are things that we just have to make allowances for. <laughs> you know,
1: maybe the maybe the display on the front is broken and maybe it's like having a crack in your iPhone. It's still kind of usable, but, um, you know, it's it's not optimal. So when you do the full level diagnostic by opening the hatch and it says, oh yeah, this thing totally doesn't work. <laughs> um, and then you just get to close the
0: door and be happy. Yes. Go,
1: oh yeah, no, yep. it's fine. Yeah.
0: And um, I th- technology is, is still pretty um, uh, advanced, I say that tongue-in-cheek, because if you can reset a distress beacon just by using the tine of a fork, you're either really a good at engineering or you really don't have a very technologically advanced piece of equipment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I look at it as trying to, you know, the old digital watches of the 80s where you had to take like uh <laughs> like the end of a pen yes and and depress the little button that you couldn't press with your fingers i look at it like that maybe cisco is trying to set the clock on the thing
0: <laughs> no this is why i like no. podcasting with you man that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah
1: i um i yeah i, I do like to be plot in this episode a lot um i, I think it's it's just as effective in helping to propel the story forward, and to me, that's what's important. In a lot of these late Deep Space Nine episodes, you know, there's a lot that occurs. Whether it's the Dominion War, the stories they tell outside of the Dominion War, kind of like this one, which are sort of tangentially related. But uh, I think it's it's a credit to Ron Moore's script because it does a great job of advancing the story and the Dominion War in a way mm-hmm. um, while coming up with a compelling conflict for these two characters i remembered what i was going to say
0: i know right congratulations i'm stunned i'm
1: stunned i don't want to i don't want to keep going
0: because you might lose it again (laughs) i know i want to get it out quick um so this episode made me think of two past one past movie and one past star trek episode we talked about Patton already And Patton used that whole, that's what you think it is. I think it was garbled in communications. Why don't you try to find out what they said again? That'll take another day at least. That takes place in Patton. And we saw that on the Bridge of the Defiant. I thought that was great. It also reminded me of the Galileo 7, when they had to leave at an exact moment and they had to decide whether or not they were going to And Kirk did everything he could to have that last scan of the planet to see if they could find the shuttle. Very similar thing happened here. And that's, and that's what I was thinking. And that's what I brought up. And I remembered it.
1: Well, yeah. and I, I think it's done effectively. I think it's yeah. done incredibly effective. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the Cisco in this episode. Cause we spent a whole lot of time talking about Dukat, uh and a little bit about the B story, but, yeah, you know, the other half of this waltzing duo is Benjamin Cisco, mm-hmm. and he's clearly put at a disadvantage by being injured. You know, Ducat has to take care of him at the beginning of this episode, and from the start, from the teaser on, Cisco is very uneasy. He doesn't want to be there. Yeah, you know, th- this is a role he doesn't want to be in, and I don't know if it's because of the sympathy or empathy he feels for Ducat with regard to Zial. Or maybe it's just because it's Dukat and he was an evil person. But I have to think that the last person he wants to be stranded in a cave on a stormy planet with is Dukat.
0: Oh, I think that's exactly the reason he's so uneasy is because it's Dukat. Um, not because he's injured so much or anything like that, but all through the series, these two have been going back and forth and they've been they've been uh, enemies, frenemies, maybe Dukat thinks, but I think that uh, uneasiness completely is because of he's stranded with this guy who he th- thinks is. Oh, actually, maybe he doesn't think he's crazy until that point where the emissary has spoken. But um, I, I look at it, and I have always looked at it that he's more uneasy because it's Ducat, not because he feels sympathetic or empathetic to what he's gone through.
1: You know. I think that Cisco is appreciative at first of what Ducat is doing, mm-hmm. although he's probably still suspicious. And he does say "This too. is that. Yep. This is a guy who's, who's a prisoner and all of a sudden he's taking care of, you know, our captain. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, I thought it was interesting the way it was set up at first. Like, well, what do we do when somebody finds us? It's like, well, either way, we're going to have one prisoner Yep, <laughs> and, and one, one ally, one not so prisoner. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> it was fair. And I at least appreciated that, that that was the gentleman's agreement of sorts. If you can make a gentleman's agreement with a crazy evil guy.
0: Yeah. You know, what was chilling to me in this episode, and it didn't even come from ducat or Cisco. What's it? It came from wayoon when he was imagining wayoon in the cave and Wayun just matter of factly said the dominion would have destroyed every man, woman, and child on Bajor long ago whoa <laughs> that, uh, that Dominion yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a, a an interesting and overlooked description of what the Dominion was capable of. We get to see it later on with when they when the female changeling said to kill every Cardassian, but I thought that was an interesting moment.
1: Well, do you think that that's really the case or do you think that's Ducat's brain trying to rationalize and reconcile what Dukat has always wanted to do all along to sort of enable him to say, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Of course, that's what I wanted to do.
0: That's a very good point. Um, I've I've always looked at it as that's what the Dominion would do, but that's, a, that's something I'll have to now readdress because I had never thought of it like that. That's cool. I like that, man. Good thinking.
1: Well, because you figure Bajor signs a non-aggression pact with the Dominion. Mm-hmm. As long as Bajor will play along, the Dominion's not going to do anything.
0: Well, yeah, that, and that's what I mean. As long as they play along. Look what happens when the Cardassians stop playing along. The female changeling tells them to annihilate the entire population.
1: No, true, but my point is Dukat wouldn't have cared about a non-aggression right. pact. He hated oh, the Bejorans so much that he just would have laid waste to the planet. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, and now it could be a little column A, a little column B, because I think that that happens a lot in this episode mm-hmm. in particular, but I, I almost think that that's Dukat's own mind finding a way to equivocate. Um, I could be wrong about that, but that's just the way
0: it, it seems to me. Well, you're always right. So whatever. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Wow. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> and I, I know my answer, but I'm very interested to hear your answer. Who does a better job in this episode Mark Alimo or Avery Brooks because they're both phenomenal. They are. Um,
1: that's tough. I I think I'm what I'm going to I think I want to say Mark Alimo mm-hmm. and uh, here's why. I think it's because that episodes, you know, are, are normally uh, the toughest job in a given episode of television I think is usually by the guest star because they have to pack a whole lot into 40 some odd minutes yep. for their performance. They don't necessarily get to carry it forward from week to week like regulars do, you know, but this is some, some really heavy material that they've given to somebody like Marco limo and given him the trust and the, the freedom mm-hmm. to act this, you know, the, the way he wanted to, and, and probably, you know, take a risk or two. Uh, I think that, it's that amazing because we see Ducat infrequently, but we still see the arc of that character carried forward really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some. Uh, don't get me wrong, every Brooks is fantastic. You know, this is more great Cisco, but I, I have to say that I think that Alimo edges him out just a bit yeah. because I think that Alimo had a much tougher task in this episode.
0: Yeah. He had to show paranoia, he had to show um rage, resentment, gratitude. He had to show this whole range of things. In just this forty five minutes and he does a great job doing it it's very believable I mean sometimes you can look at a character doing or an actor doing some of these things and say yeah it's it's not really there it's really believable um, and he has to do it with pounds and pounds of makeup on his face and 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 this wearing a I don't know a leather metal casing uh, for a uniform which <laughs> i always love by the way i love the kardashian uniforms but um you're right i love what what avery does in this episode you can see that he's egging him on and he has that that chuckle every once in a while as he's as he's trying to pull Ducat deeper uh into that abyss uh but i with you would give Alimo an edge uh over um the performance with they're both i let's put it this way we said this before in the past you couldn't have had one performance without the other in this episode
1: You really couldn't. And I think that that's true of these characters, you know, going forward, you know, we see great episodes by individually, you know, Mark Alimo and and Avery Brooks, you know, from here on in as we have the whole way. But I think you have to have this episode to set up. Oh, you know what you leave behind the series finale. Absolutely. Because without this, that conflict in, in the series finale seems like it's coming absolutely from out of
0: nowhere. Mm -hmm. Yep. And uh, it's, Looking at those final scenes of those two in the finale ties perfectly to what we saw here with the dialogue and the um, level of emotion. Uh, And it's, it's a great wrap up. It's actually kind of a wrap up to this episode when you think about it.
1: Interesting. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but I am now. There you go. See, we help each other out here, man. And that's what I like about the show. We do, until you leave me for dead in a cave before I leave you for dead in a cave. i just throwing that out there.
0: Oh, oh, one other thing I did want to say. Love yeah, the silver of. cast that Cisco has on. That thing's awesome. I got to use that for like a Halloween or cosplay. I got a Cisco cosplay finally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the whole the first time I saw that,
1: I'm like, what, did they get that from the set of The Wizard of Oz? It's <laughs> the Tin they, Man.
0: <laughs> they, yeah, that, or they took a disco ball out the ceiling and unwrapped it and then just stretched <laughs> it out. <laughs> It's like, he's
1: wearing a stove pipe on his elbow <laughs> and they put a little metal brace in there just so he couldn't bend it, which mm-hmm. I thought actually was a, a pretty good idea, but I loved it. Um, uh, yeah. Well, if you've got a, a big metal stove pipe or <laughs> something that looks metallic that doesn't bend, why do you need a little cross piece? I don't quite understand that, but good point. Oh, see, you're always making um, me think bill. Yeah. <sighs> oh, well, yeah. Um, other performance in this performances in this episode, I really have to say I appreciated Worf in this episode more than I have in other episodes Mm -hmm. because Worf has to be in command and Worf has to be the guy in the center seat. And I think he wears command exceptionally well in this episode. He's not reacting. He's, he's considering his options and being, I, I would like to think as pensive as maybe say Picard in a situation like this. And I really think it shows an evolution of Worf. I really like what they did with him in the script.
0: I really do too. Um, we see changes to that, um, in, in, in later episodes. Um, but, or actually, I'm actually now I have to think, does that episode take place before this or after this? I think it takes place after this with, uh, he and Jadzia on the planet trying to get the Cardassian spy. Um, but, uh, Yeah, there's not a lot of moments where we can say, okay, um, Worf is just being a typical Klingon. He's not. He's being a Starfleet officer in every sense of the word here. And I liked at the beginning of the episode when he was leaving Deep Space Nine, Kira made it very, very plain that he had until X time to search for the captain. And then he had to leave. And he just responded with understood. And I believed that he would leave at that second. That's what he does. And he did.
1: Well and I appreciated that he didn't necessarily argue with Kira. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like she's you know, she's Bajoran. Yes, they're on a Bajoran space station, but this is a Starfleet type ship and he's the Starfleet officer in command. And um yeah, mm-hmm. no, he he did what I would hope he would do. And and it was, it was pretty fantastic. So, you know, big kudos to Michael Dorn in this episode too, because his performance was really kind of great.
0: And we finally get to see it because I know it's been something that people have talked about for a while because they did refer to him. He was captain wharf. <laughs> no, nothing. Sorry.
1: No. All right. No, no. it's uh it, it's interesting because, um, people, you know, like to complain about Star Trek 2009 and into darkness where the person who's sitting in the chair is called captain no matter, no matter what their rank is. <laughs> and we have seen it in other instances yeah. in Star Trek, albeit very infrequently. Mm-hmm. But uh, when that happens, when I was rewatching am like, Oh yeah, that's <laughs> right.
0: Yep. They did do that. They did. So
1: no. Good, good yeah. catch buddy. So final thoughts on uh on Waltz. So we're not going to really do any central questions this week because um, really, I mean, this, this episode answers pretty much any question you had about Dukat. Um, yeah. Um, but, uh,
0: what, do you, what are your closing thoughts? My closing thoughts are as when, when we come around to doing see it or skip it season six, which, which will be actually fairly soon. I think um, we talk about what episodes of a particular series would you say is must see in order to, introduce somebody to a show this is must see you have got to see this episode to understand that relationship between ducat and between cisco and what both of them have been dealing with over the previous six seasons and beyond especially with ducat as prefect of Bajor. it is essential and it is an amazing episode two thumbs up gotta see it don't miss it rewatch it because you're going to pick up things that you didn't see the first time as I have done. And I've seen it several times. It's fantastic. And Renee did, um, as we said, a phenomenal job directing this episode. We only get to see Odo for like 30 seconds in this episode, but Renee's fingerprints are all over this one.
1: I'm really kind of surprised that you say that about this one being sort of must see deep space nine, because I think you have to watch a whole bunch of episodes before you get to this one. Um, and I, I, for me, I don't know that it's, it's a good one to set a newbie down in front of, because there's a whole lot of backstory you have to know.
0: Well, I look at it as this, if you're going to be introducing someone to the way I look at it with see it or skip it is if you're going to be introducing someone to star Trek, you're going to give them these specific ones that you want to see per season. When they get to season six, I'm looking at it as a, along the lines of they have seen the ones that we are like. You have to see okay. season one through five, which many of them will be the Ducat Cisco relationship aspect. But you can't miss this one in order to see where that relationship is headed.
1: I understand where you're going now, okay. I, uh, and I appreciate the clarification, sir. Hmm. I, uh, for me, this is uh, this is probably. Well, it's, the problem is there's so many great episodes in season six. Yeah, it, it uh, for me, it's it, it's probably among the best of season six, and that's that's hard to to really quantify because um, I th- I can at least think of a dozen episodes that are among the best of season six. Yeah, because the season is that good. But um, I, if you rewatch this, and you really should you really should pay close attention to Mark Alimo and just how brilliant he is in this episode. Yes. Okay. Ducat is evil. Yes. Ducat is a bad guy. But I mean, when you start to think about what Alimo does on the screen in this episode, it really gives me a brand new respect for the guy. I mean, I loved him before mm-hmm. and, uh, it just that respect for his ability and for his performance really just amped up several levels after watching Waltz.
0: And in the last scene that we see him with in this episode, the people that were egging him on in his mind and causing him to go more and more crazy are there with him on the shuttle. And he's happy to see them as that door closes because the people that he feels strongest with are there for him kind of twisted, but that's how I took it.
1: No, I I read it the exact same way. So we're, we're of like mind on that. It's uh, this definitely was a great one to rewatch. I um that's, I, I can never tire of this episode. It's not when you sit down and go, oh yeah, I'm going to watch Waltz today. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's, it's another one of those episodes. But uh, it absolutely is worth re-watching if you haven't seen it recently. It is uh, it is that good. So, uh, Dan, speaking of other things that are that good, there are five guys in a band and they are exceptional. They are five-year mission and they are every ounce of music you hear on the Trek Geeks podcast. We are so truly... Thankful and grateful to them for letting us use their music each and every episode. We want everyone to head on out to five year as people are doing every week. Now um, we hear about it, you know, quite a bit where people say, oh yeah, I finally listened to five year mission and you're right. They're awesome. Well, guess what? They are awesome and you need to go get yourself Year four right now at fiveyearmission.net,
0: Dan. Absolutely. And also check out Twitter and other places on social media this week because they dropped a new one this week, Bill. Our good friend Jim Morehouse uh, had uh, a five-year mission track recorded just for him. Um, and, yeah, of course, no. it's all about firing the phasers or whatever the hell. It about. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's still pretty good. The, the song's pretty good. Not so sure about the acting job, but, but you know, I, I'm just kidding. Jim was awesome in that. But you know what else is awesome? is this episode that I just checked out. It was really good. We talked about it just recently with Holly Stoddart when we had her on uh, Cedar Skibbit Season 5. Wait, um, with who? Holly. Did I say Holly? I said Holly. Haley. Haley. See, I don't, I've don't. i never had her on before, so I didn't know what her name was. Oh, no, I'm leaving this in. I just absolutely. became the favorite again. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, there was some drummer dude going around killing all of Kira's friends, and she had to stop him. I mean, she had to stop this bad drummer. You know, at you know, first... I thought that he was hiding in the shadows because he was self conscious of all the scars on his face and, and and you know that whole idea of what the episode was about. But then I realized, nah, that's just how he normally looks. It's the farkness and the light on Deep Space Nine. Dun dun dun. dun, dun. What,
1: what's wrong with you? Dun, dun. What is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> that was oh dude are you are you even trying i, I try <laughs> you try my patience is what you do uh, absolutely but uh that's five-yearmission.net please go get all their music become huge fans because we are and we want you to know the joy that we know from listening to five-year mission dan next week we're going to change things up a little bit we're going to go visit our friends over in the delta quadrant and see what's up on the good old starship
0: voyager aren't we there we are. It's that we haven't we haven't talked about them in quite a while. And uh we're gonna take a look at at what I feel and what I think is one of the most entertaining hours in Voyager's seven year run. And it, it kind of seems only fitting that we're gonna have this discussion right around the Halloween holiday. Um, we're gonna talk death rays and lightning shields, creatures from the fifth dimension, Bill the queen of the spiders and Satan's robot. It's bride of Chaotica next week on Trek geeks. Your independent star Trek podcast.
1: (laughs) I, I have absolutely no idea what to do with this information. I, uh, yeah. So, spoiler alert, I haven't seen any of the Captain Proton episodes, so I'm very excited by this. I'm going to do some homework before we get there, but I'm looking forward big time to talking Bride of Chaotica next week on an all-new Trek Geeks. Of course, Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone, everyone, I mean everyone that hears this, and, and your friends, and their friends, to go check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. They have such a great array of podcasts over there, Dan. Star Trek fans of all kinds are guaranteed to find something they love to listen to, so please check them out. And then, of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek's yo, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 155 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. (laughs) coconuts are not dangerous.
2: Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net.
0: Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out
2: Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com.